This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm Jack Pelzer, joined today by Dan Hodgman. Hey, Jack. Dan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good hanging in there. Can't complain. How about you? Uh, good. Is the uh, weather terrible there in Wisconsin, too? Yeah, my neighbor's yard across the street, I've been watching it, is a full-on pond. I haven't even been able to let my dog outside for very long, knowing he's going to try and swim. Yeah, nothing like being locked indoors when it's a rainy day and uh, it's a pandemic, but, you know, good stuff. You know, it was nice, though. Uh, the other day, last week, I was able to talk to Sean Kozak, our guest today, from Neuro Street Trading. And uh, it was awesome. He has a really interesting background. He's one of our Canadian traders, of whom we've interviewed a number of. And uh, he actually worked, started out working up on an oil rig up there in the north. It's funny how that works. I've talked to a lot of traders in the past that have started on oil rigs or are currently still on oil rigs. I guess when you're just around that environment, it almost makes sense because you're working, you know, you work two weeks on, four weeks off or two months on, six months off. They've got such a wild schedule. So they get a lot of free time um, that I've heard a lot of traders transfer into it from that. Yeah, we talked about a little bit of that too, because it makes sense from a risk management standpoint of the reason beyond going places that people that work that sort of job get paid so much is it's hazard pay. Not everyone's going to go up there and uh, it's a dangerous profession. And that's why the crab fishermen or oil rig workers or what's another dangerous thing? Um, Military. Milit- oh, yeah, that's a big one. I was going to yeah, go with something, like, uh, something with like a clown juggling some chainsaws or something but that's much uh (laughs) i was really reaching there and avoiding the obvious but um there are definitely people have to be okay with taking risks so it makes sense to me so we talked about that a little bit the other uh, big story so we're recording this on wednesday the 29th of april is that uh stocks are up quite a bit today aren't they big move up from them not only are they by that uh fib extension they had a hard time really trying to break through this 2,900 level. Uh, we saw it yesterday. It checked up above there. And as soon as consumer confidence came out, um, it just fell flat on its face. And in the overnight, it liked some of the earnings that have come out. And today, I think, is going to be such an interesting close to see if we can close up above that level. It'll be really intriguing for me, knowing that we still have a couple more days left in the week. It's still pushing that way. It's, it's, it's very interesting because you're right. The, uh, the FIB level, the 200-day moving average, there's a lot of things converging at that point around 2,900. And then there's sort of like 3,000 is a very mental level that they'll try and get to next. But it is just fascinating to see how it gets there because today we got the long-awaited uh, Q1 advanced GDP number which uh yeah you know i've never seen <laughs> i've never seen a uh, 10 percentage point uh range of the uh <laughs> analyst estimates with everything from you know minus 10 to to flat it came out uh what was it 4. Point, minus 4.8 something like that it was a one something was like that 1% the, below the consensus and um that only takes into consideration the real bad GDP is going to be quarter two. That's the, because this only incorporates some of the 
uh, March stuff. So it's not a fully incorporated number, but it was pretty wild to see it. GDP missed by a percent. Stocks take off in part because uh, our friends at Gilead or Gilead. How do you say that? Gilead. 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 You know, there's certain words that I just always read and never hear because I don't watch uh, uh, any of the market shows during the day. All I have on is CNBC all day long. I have it on without the sound. Oh, no, I love listening to them. I need a good Kramer outburst every so often. It's the only way I can really start my day. Um, but, you know, it's funny you bring up Gilead like that. Gilead caused a huge surge about two or three weeks ago when they said they're going to start testing a new vaccine or antibody or whatever they were, the term they were using. And it came out. It was just a major flop. Didn't work at all. And the market's just dumped. Um, but now Gilead's coming out. Pfizer is working on a vaccine. Um, you know, it's positive news there. But what I think is going to be wild. Um, we had earnings yesterday of Southwest, one of the first airlines to really start putting out their earnings reports. We've got Boeing coming out this afternoon. Boeing right now at the moment, last I looked, was up like 12%, I think, going into their earnings report. So that's going to be such an interesting stock to watch. I, I really cannot wait to see that earning, to see the reaction, and to capitalize on the move. Yeah, that's a super interesting stock to watch. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like a feral child trying to pronounce the the G pharmacy or whatever it's called. <laughs> Look at me looking like an idiot. Um, but one one thing is, I do know about that that previous trial. It's actually it's I believe it's the same drug that they cause all the uh, ruckus with today. And it was so it was kind of convenient that five minutes before that uh, GDP number, they're like, "Hey, we might have something you might be interested in." And wow, uh, that works. Yeah, wild how that works. But I'll be interested to see the rest of that study because apparently it, it, it did succeed at shortening the duration of uh, stay or care, but did not significantly reduce the mortality rate. So we'll see how people digest that. But in the meantime, uh, it appears everything's good and we can go back to normal. We can. What's normal? What is normal these days? Well, I mean, we had a great GDP number. It was only <laughs> because, uh, you know, we can ignore it. It's funny. I've heard people compare it is so stocks right now are discounted. And I know the Fed's printed a lot of money, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars will give us, you know, some boost there. And you don't want to fight the Fed. That being said, though, it's like they've completely discounted what's going to happen over the next 12 months and are just like, you see that? Eh, don't worry about that. Right. You know, it's, it's all going to be good. And I, I saw, I forget which site I was on reading it. It's like no one, no business or no uh, like trader, if you ran a prop shop or anything, if they were like, I got this can't miss, I got 21, 2021 and on just figured out, I'm going to kill it. I know exactly how to do it. hundred percent. You just can't worry about what I do in the next 12 months. Right. Ignore the next 12 months. I've got everything after that. I'm going to lose a lot of money. I didn't, I can't tell you how much. I don't know yet, but I'll be there. You know, it's funny. You bring up the Fed too. And I think it's what I found really interesting. And I think a lot of people have heard me just go on my tangents. I'm just, the Fed irks me in a lot of different ways. And, and it's not the Fed itself, but the reaction to the Fed, I think is more or less what irks me. Today, we had the Fed come out, FOMC statement, and I'm paying attention to it because, well, that's what I do. I've always paid attention to the Fed and the FOMC. I feel like it wasn't even 
talked about. For the last three or four years, all anyone ever talks about every six weeks is the Fed coming out. Are they going to cut rates? Are they going to raise rates? What are they going to do? No one cared this go around. Like no one's even thinking about, oh, what's the Fed going to do with rates this time? Everyone's just like, the Fed's not doing a damn thing. And they're just going to come out and say, we're not touching it. And we'll think about it later. They also said that they're going to keep rates near zero until we're at full unemployment. And what the oh, hell? Yeah, is, I saw that. What is full unemployment anymore? Are we, are we considering 3.5%? <laughs> we're going to keep interest rates at zero until everyone in the, the country is conscripted into some job? Which, right, by the we're way, all locked in. Oh, we've already started that with the uh, with the meat processing plants. We're going to conscript some oh, people. Oh, yeah, those are staying there. open for good now. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting phenomenon there. What isn't an interesting phenomenon right now? Like, that's my big question. Like, what isn't interesting at this point? Whenever something happens, I'm just like, wow, that is so interesting. Yeah, I don't want to. I want to get to the interview very soon, but like, <laughs> it's just unheard to me that you could like send someone to work and uh, you know, and then <laughs> cover the liability <laughs> if they get sick. It's wild. I I don't know. It's it's freeform jazz, Dan. All right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, well, we discussed. So the interview I did with Sean was, God, was it a week ago or two weeks ago? We did a bunch of them in a row. It was two weeks ago, it was I think. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago. I was playing golf. Great. That's a great reason to miss a recording, Dan. Um, <laughs> well, you took the day off. But I anyway, did take the day off. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. It's a uh, great. Sean knows all types of stuff, and he's great as far as the mental coaching aspect, which we hear people talking about a lot. They want more ways to develop their mind because uh, from the, like the Big Lebowski, it's the uh, biggest uh, – oh, I'm not going to say what – I'm remembering a quote now. It's inappropriate, so I won't say it. The mind's <laughs> important, guys. The mind's important. You need to sharpen it like a knife, and uh, Sean is great at that, and he's going to let us know how to do that. Meanwhile, uh, Dan and I will debate the market further, and we'll see you guys after the interview. All right, it's Friday. Uh, today is April 17th. I always try and throw that in there because things are moving so much lately, and uh, anything we talk about the markets might be outdated quick. But we're so happy to be joined from Ottawa, Canada, with none other than Sean Kozak, who is the founder of NeuroStreet Trading Academy. Oh, the president, I guess. Uh, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Jack. I appreciate you having me in here. And uh, it's always good to be uh, talking shop on a Friday. Yeah, of course. And it's been a pretty wild start to the day already. Uh, the S&Ps are way up, I saw. Uh, I guess they've come off a little bit from where they were in the uh, after hours last night. But um, yeah, some good stuff happening, obviously, against the backdrop of some real bad stuff. So We've been asking everyone to start. How's your uh, lockdown been going? Well, to be honest with you, it's been it's been busier than when I wasn't. Um, you know, being a trader uh, and working with traders all over the world, I find we're getting a whole lot more traction. There's a whole lot more people at home, and there's a whole lot more people, uh, you know, trading, learning to trade. And I find that it's been uh, it's been rather busy, to be tr- tr- truthful. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot less. Uh opportunity cost the trading right now we're kind of all hunkered down anyway and some of the uh aspects of trading that can be difficult which is spending a lot of time in front of the screens it's kind of uh being forced down all of our throats so it's good that some people are making the most of it 
Well, I always say if you want to make money in the markets, you're not going to learn how to do it watching Netflix. No. No. <laughs> no, I don't think watching Billions is going to be a good substitute for actually doing it. Uh, so just to get us started, Sean, um, we always uh, like to look into a little bit, why were you initially drawn to trading? And if you could tell us a little bit about how you got started. Yeah, it's actually a funny story. Um, I actually used to work in the oil and gas industry. I, was, uh, I, was, I worked on the drilling rigs up in northern Canada. And uh, I went back and, and uh, took a finance major in school, and, and uh, all my buddies were bankers. They're all, they all planning to go into the banking route. And, you know, I was taking corporate finance, and I was trading penny stocks in the classroom, getting in trouble by my teachers because they were trying to figure out what I was doing, and I wasn't studying. I was trading, making money. And uh, my main instructor at the time, he was the ex-CFO for Levi's Jeans, and he, he said, he's like, why don't you just become a trader? <laughs> and... Uh, I said, well, that's kind of the point. I'm just waiting to get my diploma, <laughs> you know. And so uh, that's kind of the direction I kind of went. All my all my colleagues went into the banking route. Um, my best friend runs the the bond desk for the Bank of Canada, and uh, he's the only one that kind of got into trading outside of myself. But then I just kind of got into software design. I I I, uh, I interviewed some hedge fund managers in Toronto. It's the Wall Street of Canada. And, you know, it was interesting. We, we got into a conversation at the beginning and, and he said, well, what do you want to do with your life, Sean? I said, well, I want to I want to trade. He's like, well, then there's no need to go to university because you could have all these numbers behind your name. But unless you know how to manage risk, you're absolutely useless as a trader. And so I think that was the biggest kind of aha moment for me. It's like you don't need to go to school and university and spend all this, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars of education to become a good trader. You just need to learn how to become a great trader. And that's kind of how I got started. I started I started in the space trading and and I uh, started in stocks and equities, moved to options, and then I kind of gravitated towards futures just due to the simplicity of it. Sure. The uh, credentials don't mean a ton when it comes to trading. And actually, compared to other careers in finance, you see a huge uh, array of backgrounds where some of the uh, best traders I've met along the way at prop shops have been people that were former chefs or, you know, dropouts, uh, traveling poker players, stuff like that. Sure. It's uh, the only thing people care about is how you can manage risk and have you been able to make money in the past, you know? So that's cool. Uh, so you've already or always had sort of an entrepreneurial streak, right? Uh, what were you doing up on the, in the oil rigs? Freezing my butt off. Like how far north are we talking? They they sent me up to the uh, the Northwest Territories, so you could consider that close to the Arctic. They flew us in on uh, on special planes, and we had to wear these these cold suits that don't expose your skin. You had to tie yourself to the to the cabins, walking from building to building because the snow drifts would blow you into the blizzard, and you could disappear overnight. So it was pretty hardcore. They pay you danger pay and hazard pay, and but I mean I I, I use this analogy a lot in our trading rooms when we work with our traders and. You know, I, I, I kind of put things into perspective. I mean, I would have to used to work 16-hour shifts in the evening, work in the night owl shift, in the middle of the Arctic in blizzards with minus 50 to 60-degree weather, freezing, to make $400 a day after you get your danger pay. And you could make one good trade on the S&P or one good trade on crude oil and make 400 bucks in the morning of an hour, and you don't got to go through all that headache. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that seems like a lot easier way to do it. Stay warm. That's what I said, yeah. I have an interesting observation that I've seen in the past. So you're clearly someone that's okay with, uh, you're not hugely risk averse for the right deal. So you're willing to go up there and freeze and wear a jumpsuit and tie yourself down when a lot of people wouldn't do that because they're like, it's so dangerous. Do you think that you're just more objective about risk? I say this because we, um, 
we used to work with a guy. We once hired someone who was a uh, fighter pilot, and we thought that sort of that somebody who had that sort of career would be, you know, have a very they'd be willing to use risk in the right way. But as it turns out, the person was actually incredibly risk averse because one thing goes wrong in a plane like that and, you know, everyone dies. So how do you think about risk when you're making these decisions? I, I look at it from a different perspective. I look at it from risk is, is, is the business. I, I don't like to label myself a trader. I, I try to label ourselves as money managers. Trading is the vehicle in which we, we manage capital. It's, it's the act of doing the job. But what to kind of relate to your story, what I see trading is 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 a business of non obsoletes, and you know as a fighter pilot, it's an obsolete business. Meaning 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 everything's black or white. You know you got to flip this gauge, you got to hit that dial, you got to make sure this is that. Uh, same thing with a with an engineer, right? Stress testing a bridge. You know this ratio needs to be that. That that metric needs to be this. It, it cannot be anything other than that. And in trading. That's not the case. Every single day is a completely different day. And I think where my risk factor comes in is is it's really more about pattern recognition and being able to see things that are similar, that repeat themselves on a regular basis rather than exacts. And I think that's where my skill set allowed me to because in, in, a, in a danger environment, like let's say you're a firefighter or let's say you're a, an emergency response worker, you know, your job is to go out on the field and actually save lives or go out and, and deal with environments that are kind of unpredictable, so to speak. You got to kind of think on your feet. You got to kind of improvise. And that's where I see trading very much like that is, is anybody that's able to adapt quickly able to adjust in the now, whereas somebody that's, you know, if you're a mechanic, a wrench is a wrench, a bolt is a bolt, a nut is a nut. It's not like that in trading because sometimes you got to think on your feet and you have to, you have to adapt, right? You have to be able to watch the market and be able to see how it's responding to price and structure levels. And, and that's never exact, right? It's never an exact science. And so I think to kind of bring it back to what you said, those that are able to get outside that it has to be mentality will be able to adapt, I think, a lot better in managing risk because, you know, let's say you have a risk reward ratio of, let's say, one to one or two to one, and it only gets to one and a half. Are you able to be okay with that and be adapting to that rather than having to make it get to your target? And a lot of times traders never hit their targets because they want the exacts. Yeah, there needs to be some flexibility. That's where if there was a formula to all this, people would all be doing it. You know, you got to be able to read the markets. So when you start going into this full time, did you find success right away or was there a learning curve? I'll tell you, my biggest learning curve is, is teaching traders because everybody's different and every trader that you work with has different skill sets. Some traders are better at other things than others. And I, I've been running trading rooms. I've been in a trading room educator in front of hundreds of traders for, you know, better part of five years. And, you know, you can't hide that in front of other people. You're in front of hundreds of other people trading every day. There's no getting away from that. And I think the biggest thing that you learn from is, is uh, you know, 
I think the biggest thing I've learned is calling yourself out on mistakes in front of lots of people. You know, there, there has to be some act of humility that, that makes you a much better trader. And I think that's my biggest jump forward was being able to correct those mistakes quickly. So did you find yourself having to adjust a lot? Um, just, I know for me, I've never traded live with people watching me. Sure. I think that that would uh, definitely get in my head to some extent. Yeah, it does. It, does. it definitely gets in my head. You know, and I've traded four scenarios in front of an audience. I've traded a SIM account in front of an audience. I've traded a live account in front of an audience. I've traded a combine in front of an audience. And I've traded managed funds in front of an audience. So the, the, the four aspects of trading, uh, they all brought a different level of, of emotions. Um, the biggest thing for me is trying to understand uh, my style in relationship to where my skill set was best suited. Um, for the longest time, I thought I was a reversal trader. Mm-hmm. And turns out I make a whole lot more money trading trends. Honestly, most people do. Uh, we were just talking about, I, I think we were looking at some article we wrote for the Top Step Trader blog, but whenever they have those sort of retail sediment indicators, it seems that most retail traders out there, whether they necessarily know they're doing it or not, are trying to pick reversals. And given that we know that most retail traders will fail, at least you know initially, or if they you know don't put in the work for a long time, it seems to me that uh, you know trend is your friend. That's the way to at least start. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right. And we did a we did an event yesterday on on understanding wave cycles and corrective and impulsive patterns. And uh, you know I went back and do a lot of manual back testing. I, I try to study the the losses and and the wins and understand okay why were the winning trades working so well and why were the losing trades not. And uh, a lot of times it has nothing to do with the actual strategy. It has to do with when you're trading that strategy. And, and I find that reversal trading, when you're trading the reversals and impulsive moves, you're, you're going to have a much harder time. If you're trading reversals and corrective moves, traders can often do quite well. But trading trends in the wrong moves can also do very, very terrible, right? You need to know when to apply, uh, kind of put the pedal to the metal, so to speak. And, and I think that's kind of the biggest aha moments that I've seen with our students and our other traders is kind of like, the light bulbs go on when the clarity comes in and the clarity comes in from, you know, realizing, well, this is just so much easier than what I was doing before. Why don't I just do this? (laughs) Yeah. So you do a lot of work, obviously it's in the name with incorporating neuroscience into your education. Uh, I was wondering if you might want to just talk a little bit about that because I find all that stuff very fascinating. Yeah, actually. um, Well, that's a, it's a, it's a pretty big story. I'm going to sum it up and I'll give you the cliff notes version. I went for fish tacos one day with a with a a, a friend of a friend of mine, and and uh, it turns out he was the uh, the CEO of a neuroscience company out of Montreal, Canada. And he told me how he got in the space, and and originally their company was responsible for designing cognitive training software for Manchester United, the soccer teams. And uh, so basically, the coach for Ronaldo. Uh, went to Montreal, the University of Montreal, and uh, approached Dr. Faubert, the head of the neuroscience departments at the Faubert Labs, and said, we'd like you to build a neuroscience product that can give our our, our professional athletes an, a cognitive advantage in the game. It's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, we're talking <laughs> Manchester United. And so they did. They built a product, proven science. They published a whole bunch of white papers at the university level. And then next thing you know, the NFL got on board. You know, now, now Matt Ryan signed on with the 
the the quarterback for the the, the 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 Falcons. And next thing you know, you got all the other sports teams using it, basketball players, hockey teams now. Next thing you know, you got the U.S. Air Force jumping on board, and they're they're using it now for flight simulation training for all their 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 pilots. And uh, so when I when I heard all this, I said, well, you know, it's interesting. These are all performance based industries, and trading is the number one performance based industry of the world, and we're directly responsible for making cognitive decisions in the most high pressure industry. Um, not only that, we're looking at more than one monitor at a time. So the cognitive load on the brain is so big that you're looking at four charts, four markets, you're monitoring four different instruments. You got to make a trade. You got to think about the risk. Oh my God, you got news. And who's this guy on the mic talking in the trade room? He's my teacher. I got to think all this on the fly and still make a trade. We don't realize it, but psychology comes next to cognitive function. And what's interesting is when you when I talked to the doctors at the university about this, they were so fascinated that, that I wanted to bring their products into Wall Street because they said, well, managing fear, greed, and emotion is after your brain processes cognitive thought. So emotions come from thinking. So if we can train the brain to be stronger at thinking, we can have a much better edge on managing human emotion. And so when I said all this, I said, well, I'd like to bring this cognitive solution into our school. And we're the first trading school in the world to integrate cognitive neuroscience at a SaaS level for retail traders. And so we, we brought it in and, and we had a really good traction. A lot of traders started using it. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an exercise you do on your computer. It takes about six minutes every morning. Most of our traders do it pre-market. And it gives you a a graph. It shows you how your brain is getting stronger or weaker that day based off cognitive function. And it's scientifically validated. It's proven uh, through, you know, I mean, we NASA space station just just signed them for using it for their astronauts. So there's a reason why it's working. The biggest thing, though, is we we actually wanted to take it one step further. And you know, being a trader, I'm thinking risk management at all times. And uh, I went to the lab and I said, you know, doctor, would you be willing to do a pilot study with us? He's like, well, what what on? I said, well, I I'm seeing correlations. Uh, I was actually doing a top step combine at the time in the in the trade room for for educational purposes. And I and I was noticing on all the days where my brain was dropping cognitive function, I was taking losses. And then all the days where I was doing well, I was, you know, correlating to cognitive strength. So I showed this to the university and said, well, let's let's do a pilot. So we actually just finished the pilot. We had 80, 80 traders in the school submit to the data. And we correlated their brain cognitive function to their trading performance. So now we have actually we're in the we're in the final stages of that, and we're looking to to see how we can somehow move the needle on risk management through through neuroscience. That's amazing. It's wild how much uh, this whole idea of incorporating the cognitive science into performance has progressed, even just in the last ten years. Because I know when I um, when I started 10 years ago at the firm I was at, and it was a you know pretty decent-sized firm, none of this was kind of at the forefront. We had a lot of focus on risk management, but there was very, I hear so many uh, more things about objective measures of how you're performing and setting a scorecard for yourself each day to make yourself a better trader. And there was none of that then. So this is a really interesting field. Well, I got, I got a question for you. And... Uh... You said you, you used to work at a prop firm or you traded in a prop shop. So in prop shops, 
similar to what Topstep does, because you have a risk manager that's managing all the accounts, and you're, you have you have metrics that that look at all the combines and all the funded accounts to manage the risk. It's no different than a prop shop. If you think about the risk manager's job in a prop firm environment, the risk manager's job is to look at the stress risk across an entire firm and look at, okay, well, which traders are are doing really well and which traders are kind of, you know, pardon my friend, shit in the bag today, right? So it's... You can say that all day. It's all good. You know, <laughs> and, and, and uh, what we're able to do with what we're doing right now is, is we can provide neuroscience uh, advantages at an independent trader basis. So let's say you've got 50 traders on your firm, or let's say you got all these traders trading funded accounts in top step, right? Sure. You've got, let's say you got, let's say you got a thousand traders trading funded accounts. Every trader in the, in those accounts could be doing a six minute exercise in the morning and it'll tell them, okay, your brain is strong today. That's a good sign. You know, you got a cognitive strength. That's good. Your cognitive load is functioning. All the brains sil- firing on all cylinders. That's good. And then the risk manager, or let's say whoever manages all these accounts and monitors them, can also see the score of the, the brains at, a, at an admin level. So we can basically provide a way for a firm to look at all of the traders' cognitive function on a daily basis. So let's say before everybody starts trading, the risk manager can say, okay, Mr. John Smith over there and Travis Young over here, hit, their brains really dropped this morning. Maybe they went out last night for too many beers at the pizza party, right? Like, yeah. you know, and you never know because in the Wall Street environment, it's a pretty, you know, pretty, you know, fast paced environment. You got people going out at night and people not. And sometimes that plays a factor and sometimes it doesn't. And, and we, we forget sometimes in trading that our lives play a factor in how we think the next day and sleep, your dog, your kids, whatever the case may be. But it all plays a factor in how you think and make decisions. And we can monitor at an individual level, but now firms will be able to monitor at a, at a corporate level and be able to assess the cognitive risk on the firm's capital. It's really uh, great to, the, one of the most difficult parts of being a retail trader is just not having those sort of external control mechanisms to keep you on the rails. Uh, and what a lot of the programs out there and what we do at Top Stuff and stuff is somewhat uh, trying to simulate some of the good parts of, say, working in a prop shop, which for me was that I was part of a group within it. I was part of a desk. And so I, I wasn't on YouTube in a trading room having hundreds of people watch me, but there were, you know, eight to 10 people on my P&L monitor that you could keep each other in check. And then at a macro level, you had, as you were talking about earlier, a risk manager who uh, would come over and give you the old shoulder tap if things were getting hairy. And uh, when you're sitting alone, you know, you're trading a brokerage account, there's no one, if you could lose it all, there's no one there to stop you from doing it, really. So it's great to have beyond mentors, just controls out there to keep you on the path. So that's really cool what you're discussing. Well, I find find trading has got a few different avenues. We'll bring this back to the retail trading space because, you know, let's just kind of bring it back to combine traders. I mean, we did a survey the other day in our trading room to see how many traders were trading live accounts versus how many traders were actually trading combine accounts. And we had a pretty large amount that were actually, you know, either trading, uh, getting funded, were funded or trying to get funded. And, and uh, you know, we, we I, I run another survey in the, in the room. We, we take polls all the time. It's just good to just kind of know your audience. And, you know, one of the questions was, is what do you find is, is uh you know 
the biggest barrier and the biggest barrier is always, you know, that human connection of that dependability and the belief in what they're doing and their ability to act on their, their control, like having control of themselves. And that, that kind of raises the question. It's like, you know, well, you're not going to go and walk out in front of a moving bus. You got to self-control there. Like, you know, it's going to hurt you. You know, well, why do traders do the things they do if they know that it could potentially hurt them? And it all boils down to the aspects of, of the greed or the emotion of the fear or the most people feel that they, they just want to be right. They need to be right. And that's not the, the way the business is. Like trading don't care if you and I are right. Like we have no control over the market. The market bears no barrier to preference. And I think that when a human human individuals accept that at a deep emotional level, we can gain some self-control and, and, and it's super important. Yeah. You can't fall in love with uh, those positions because there's no point. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like dating. You're not going to get married before you take her on a date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to do the work. Yeah. There's, uh, there's so many interesting cognitive phenomenon that we witnessed from watching our traders. Um, a couple that come to mind right off the top of my head is sort of the difference between, say, you mentioned sim accounts and live accounts, is that, yeah, there are there are some objective things to make trading sim easier. The fills tend to be better just because none of them are, per they're not giving you worse fills. But even that aside, if you if you account for that effect, people sometimes have trouble making the transition from trading sim to trading real money, even though it's basically the same game because they start thinking about um, things differently. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a big jump. Um, you know, one of the biggest jumps I ever went was, you know, going to very large size, you know, large size to me at the time. And, uh, I, you know, I was going anywhere, I was trading anywhere between, you know, 20 to 30 contracts, you know, and, and to me, that's a pretty big position. Right. Like that's a really big position. And, and there's a big jump from going from, you know, trading one to five contracts to 30 contracts. There's also a big jump from going to SIM to, to trading one or two live contracts. The, the, the relationship is just all within the experience of the trader, but there's still massive, massive emotional checks that need to be put in place. And I think the biggest one that I I had to just I remember I just stared myself in the mirror one morning and says, you got this, man. Like, you can do this. You got to make the jump. You can do it. And I think a lot of that, that, that fear of traders will experience different slippage and different fills. I, I find it's not that bad if you're trading limit orders, right? Like, you're going to maybe get a couple ticks of slippage, but you're, if, you're, if you're entering at market, it's a totally different, different scenario, right? And, and so, you know, I think the biggest thing is not to get too caught up in the fear of everybody says it's such a huge jump and and it's such a big change and because i think that if we start listening to all the negative side of it traders have a harder time believing they can do it right and i truly believe in positive affirmations one of the things that i i do with our traders on a coaching level is is i make them write down a list of positive things to tell themselves before they start trading in the morning because you got to kind of brainwash yourself into believing you can do this you got to be crazy enough to think you're going to be a professional trader. I mean, tr people think, oh, they're going to come in and start putting an ATM machine in their house. You know, you got to kind of have a little bit of balls of steel and be willing to, you know, show up and, and, and grow up in this space. And I think that uh, that, that involves, um, you know, taking the plunge. Even if it's one lots, live accounts, you got to still say you can do it.
And the only way you'll be able to do that is if you've demonstrated enough time to be able to practice and, and be able to do that. I haven't met uh, a really great trader yet who has uh, not exhibited a ton of confidence that they can do it. They're not very demure about it. Um, sometimes to an excessive extent, they could be very cocky too. But if you don't absolutely believe you can do it, it becomes a very self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I mean, that's kind of anything. I mean, it, you know, if you're a professional athlete or if you're a, if you're a chef or if you're a, if you're a lawyer, you got to stand in front of a courtroom every day. If you don't believe that you can represent yourself, then, then you're really kind of, you know, you're just kind of hoping and there's no place for hope in this space. Yeah, there are other things. So my, um, my wife is a uh, musical theater performer. So we have a, a lot of interactions with actors and writers and stuff like that. And that, you know, in other fields, sometimes you see people who are very good, but very much downplay or insecure in their ability to do it. Um, I don't know what the difference is necessarily, but it's, Interesting that same thing does not tend to work in trading or sports or law, like you mentioned. Yeah, well, uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's, <laughs> let's say I'm four foot seven, I'm probably not going to slam dunk. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? You got to realize what your gifts are in life. And what I've learned about trading is it's a skill development business. So you, there's two equations I find you have to A, have a strategy that is has an edge to some degree. Not all strategies are going to have an edge all the time and not all strategies perform in all conditions, but to some degree you need a strategy that can produce some type of a positive edge. And the other side of it, you need to develop into becoming a great trader, right? And you must learn that you can't have one without the other. You could be a great trader trading the wrong strategy and fall flat on your face. And you can be you could be a terrible trader and have a great system, and that system is still not going to perform because you're going to trade it terribly. So there has to be a mix of skill and resources. Your example of being an actor, well, they've developed probably a skill to be able to perform under that pressure, under that limelight, because that's their comfort zone in that moment. But you take them outside of that, they might be an introvert, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you take a professional athlete, you know, they look like they might be an aggressive person in nature because the way they play the sport, but they're just this quiet, humble person. Some people that step into their callings, you really kind of surprise others and yourself because you really don't know that you're blessed with such a gift, right? I've got some guys in my in my room that just for the life of me, they're just so calm. They're just they're just so calm, but yet, you know, outside of that, it's it's completely different perspective. And and I think trading is going to test you. Trading is going to test you from all angles, and you're going to learn more about yourself than any other space, I'd like to think. You mentioned uh, having strategies with Edge. Do you have a process by which you try and develop your strategies or find new opportunities? Absolutely. So, I mean, well, let's kind of relate it to books. If you've ever read a book, you open it up and you try to read it, and the first chapter just kind of, you're like, I can't get into this book. You close the book, you throw it away. You open another book and it's like, oh, this is awesome. This is great, right? What's the difference between the books? Well, they're written in frameworks. People learn in frameworks. People learn in a linear process, both visually and auditorially. So if you're a trader and you try to throw everything at them at one time, the system, the triggers, the entries, the trade management, everything, and it's all, okay, here it is. Most people will never grasp that because they never know the path to go through the learning curve on that. 
Whereas what we've done is we've broken it down into stages where it's like, okay, step one, you need to learn these things. Once you learn those things, you can move to step two. And once you learn those things in step two, you can move to step three. And it gives you kind of like a reward, a psychological reward mechanism internally because you're not overwhelming yourself in learning the strategies or the trading systems because you're learning it in stages. Kind of like a good book. You learn a chapter in, a, in, a, in the book and it's like, that was a great chapter. There's some good points in it. You take out what you do. And that's how we build trading systems. You know, there's, there's really only three, there's only really two ways you can ever trade a financial market, directionally or non-directionally. And then inside those two categories, there's all these other trading systems like reversals and momentums and trend trades, like, but they're either directional or non-directional. You can either go against the market or with the market as a main macro context. And when you build automated systems or retail trading systems, they're all under that, those two umbrellas, right? If you're a non-directional trader, you're trading reversals to some extent, counter trend, picking tops and bottoms, ranges, going against direction. Either way, it's that category or you have directional. So whenever we build our trading systems, we break it down into those two macro categories. And then we say, okay, well, what, what micro strategy are we building in that category? Right. I'll give you an example. Like we trade, uh, we trade trend trades and we trade trend trades with confluence on levels. So we'll, we'll look at, you know, trend trading systems and we want to make sure we're trading trends in impulsive patterns. And we'll line those up with other levels of confluence of supplier demand, low volume nodes off a profile, uh, FIB levels, these types of things. But we don't just trade a pullback on a trend. We'll only trade pullbacks on trends when they line up with other areas of confluence because we're a big believer of taking different subsets of data and bringing them together at the market. Because if you got four or five different ways of looking at market analysis and they're all coming together at the same point. There's normally a reason for that. There's normally an exploitable edge in those environments. And, you know, we, we see that traders um, will normally do well with trend trading first and then switch to reversals if they want to get good at both. But we normally will, will build systems based off of those categories and then if you look at say momentum trading systems, right? Normally a lot of order flow traders or any of those volume traders like the trading small scalping stuff, momentum is a directional system, right? It's you're either breaking out momentum in a directional market or you're trading momentum follow through on continuations, but it's still a directional system. So you just need to know how to build the confinement of those types of strategies and then be able to backtest those strategies and find those edges accordingly because not all systems are created equally. And where some people might might look at a strategy and say, oh, this isn't working. But then another guy will say, well, you just need to trade it in these conditions. Right. And it'll completely be a great system. Right. The uh, greatest skills someone can have is the ability to teach themselves or learn new things. And especially with the just ultra abundance of information and resources out there online and stuff, it's never been easier to kind of go out there and learn but to do so, you need those frameworks. And every time I hear a story, I know uh, I'm, I'm blanking out his name, but Warren Buffett's uh, number two guy or whatever. He always describes him as uh, this, this guy who has a framework for everything. You ask him any sort of problem about anything, and he just has a thousand frameworks. He just picks one and applies it. And that makes everything so easy because you have a plan. You wouldn't write a book without an outline. You wouldn't you know do any of these things without that sort of preparation. So that's very interesting what you said about developing those uh, strategies. 
Well, what I what I've also found is it's 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 what's made the traders successful. It's not so much the trading system at first. It's being able to see where the trader is stuck in the framework, because if we've got traders that are successful making an income and successfully being consistently profitable trading the systems, so we know the systems are profitable. So why is one trader or why are, let's say you got 50 traders, why are 10 of them very successful and the other 40 break even or maybe taking a little bit of loss? What's the difference? It's not the system. Because we know that these guys over there are making a, doing very well. So where is the issue? So what I do is I'll meet with a trader and I'll say, okay, so let me walk you through this framework. Let's start with step one. Can you explain to me how you do this, 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 and this? And if they get it right, I know that their, their issue isn't in that step of the process. We go to step two. I said, okay, can you, can you go through this, 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 and this? And if I see that, okay, there is a mistake I know right then that there's reasons why a lot of things that they're doing is not lining up. Because if you're making mistakes in your linear process, then when you go to manage trades, sometimes it will be right and sometimes it won't because your mistakes are evident. So if you're able to look at where the issues are, you can fix those issues. Because some traders will be really good at, say, higher time frame analysis. And then when they go down to the smaller time frame, they lose sight of it because it's too fast. So when they go into the market entry and exits and stuff, they don't really get a handle of it. They can look at the big picture very well because it's easier to see. And then when they go into the smaller charts, they get lost. Some traders are the opposite. Some traders are really good at entering and exiting trades, but they have a real hard time bringing fractal analysis together. And so when we can break that down, I mean, I'm within five minutes, I can tell you where you're struggling as a trader. That's great. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we've done so well at helping traders get outside. I think the biggest success we had, I worked with a guy out of Australia. He's a government worker, trades part-time, trades the euro. Struggled 13 years, never seen a profitable year. Worked with him, broke it down. He's got his first consistent year. And I, I said, you know, that's how I can take somebody and we can mold them and we can shape them. And it's really about just learning where their struggle is. Very cool. So to bring it back to the uh, now, I was just out of my curiosity. Do you guys trade or do, do you specifically trade uh, multiple futures products? Or are you specializing in one or a basket? Yeah, so, great question. Um, I, have a, I have an acronym called ECG. E stands for the S&P, ES. C stands for crude oil, right? And G stands for gold. It's kind of like the beating heart of Wall Street, right? You've got the S&P crude oil and gold for futures. Everything outside of that is secondary. So I would say the primaries are the S&P, crude oil, and gold. It's what the bigger guys are paying attention to as more of the, the pillars of the market. Then you got the NASDAQ. We'll look at the NASDAQ second because it's the volume and the liquidity. Um, we'll look at the euro, right, because it's the most heavily traded currency future. Uh, outside of those markets, um, you know, yes, we do. We can look at them but it's not primarily our focus. So normally the S&P, the NASDAQ, crude oil, gold, and the euro are our primaries. Yeah, for futures, that is. Yeah, in futures, 95% of our traders are probably equity indices, crude oil, uh, a little bit of gold, but those, those two especially. And those are obviously all three of those uh, ECG looking at are very active at the moment. They're very active. Yes, yes, they're very active. And, 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 and think about it like this, like it's kind of like, you need to learn the temperament of a market, right? I, what I really like about crude oil is that even though we were going through a pandemic, crude oil was the most stable market after 
all those lockouts. Like if you look at the first market that went back to normalized conditions in terms of volatility and volume, it was crude oil. Yes, we had some stuff going on with the wars and the, the, the stuff and all the different decisions we had with you know the, the, the crude oil market. But once that kind of settled, even when all of the panic and the pandemic and the stock market was crashing still, crude oil was still actively able to be a trading instrument for retail day traders because it's not affected by the stocks as much as, say, all the other markets, right? When you start looking at indice markets, they're correlated. And when you got a market panic, everybody's panicking. But crude oil is crude oil. It's an independent commodity. So that's one of the reasons why I don't like just only trading indices because sometimes you need to be dynamic enough to switch outside of an asset sector to be able to run your business. Yeah, and they all play off of each other so much. It's important, even if you just trade one product, it, you should have a is a deep understanding as you can of the other products that are going to affect it. You know, so it's I see a lot of people who spend pretty much all their time exclusively, especially in the equity indices, because you know people come from stock trading a lot, and that's sort of uh, familiar ground for them to play in a little bit. But you know. Get outside your comfort zone occasionally. You don't have to become an expert, but take a look at bonds. Take a look at crude oil, gold. See what they're doing because it'll make you a more knowledgeable trader overall. One of the things that we do, and we have a we designed a black belt program, and it's it's a video training program to kind of you know take traders into more of an advanced concept. But one of the things that we do in that program is is uh, we we have a checklist on market selection, and you know one of them is volume. One of them's liquidity, the other one's movement, right? And the other one is speed of the market. So as a new trader, let's say, you know, we, we, we know the demographics. Like let's say you're 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 middle aged or maybe you're you're starting you're retired and you're you no know, computer not as computer savvy as the, the millennials coming up and you're super, super fast. So, you know, being able to make decisions on a market that's so fast you can't even think about it. It's really hard to trade that, right? So, so we also, it's not so much about what you think you might want to trade. It's kind of like, what are you qualified to trade? Like, as much as a lot of people love the NASDAQ, it's a really, really fast market, right? So, so if you're not able to handle the pace of that market, maybe not the right market to trade, right? Like, like you know, and, and you know, gold sometimes, like, you know, gold or like the Russell, let's just, they call it the Widowmaker for a reason. I mean, everybody wants to trade the Russell, but it's got the least volume out of all the indices. And yet it moves the biggest spreads in the shortest amount of time. Like that's dangerous. Sure. <laughs> so you got to know your skill and know why you want to trade those markets. I think the biggest lesson I learned was just because you hear it in a webinar or a podcast like this doesn't mean you should trade it. <laughs> yeah. Got to pick a product that suits you. Um, there's, you know, there's a bunch of them out there, you know, figure out which one's right for you. So Sean, as we uh, begin to wrap up here a little bit, uh, I was thinking maybe you could tell us where the people listening could find out more about you and your program. Sure. So um, we kind of break it down in two ways. Um, I'm a firm believer that if you're going to do what we're doing, you should come in and see it, right? It's kind of like you want to go to college, you want to take your kids to college. You don't just pay for the tuition and send them off without even understanding the campus understanding the courses, what they're getting into, the books they need to buy, right? So one of the things that I believe in is exposure through through being a part of ours. So we have a we have an, a very basic introductory futures 101 course and it's it's on the homepage of our site. You can go to nstradingacademy.com. I'll say that again, it's nstradingacademy.com. And 
right on the homepage, it says, you know, learn here. You can click there. It's a very, very, very foundational course for futures traders. If you've never traded futures before, you can start there. If you're somebody that has a little bit of, uh, you know, futures trading experience or you, you've been around a little bit and you, you want to look at our trading room, um, we have a trading room that runs uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings. We trade pre-market 8.30 all the way up to noon. And I predominantly focus on the S&P crude oil and gold in the markets. And uh, and and that's an active trade room. So you're going to see me trade profiles, wave counts. We're going to look at supply and demand levels, trend trading and reversal trading. And and I do trade in the room. You will see me take trades. You will see me call trades. Um, it's a very active room. It's a big community, and uh, it's an open it's an open room. So you'll be able to ask questions in the room and get involved. But the reason why we do that is so that traders can come in and actually watch it discussed, watch it talked about, watch it done. And then if you like what we're doing, and you real feel like, hey, these guys are kind of got a handle on it, and you know I can kind of relate with what they're doing, then we can put you up with a with a, with a, a call with one of our product specialists, and we can talk about our, our education and our products and stuff if you're interested in what we're doing. Well, that sounds great. Um... Yeah. And I'll end with this. We got a lot of combine traders in there because we do a lot of work with Top Step, and uh, you know we've we've got a lot of traction with Top Step, and because not everybody's got a lot of capital, and not everybody wants to trade their own capital, right? So, so it, you know, it's uh, we have risk models that that a lot of traders will use to to get funded or to pass combines. But we say now it's a great time to have a fixed downside, especially with the way the uh, volatility has been. Um, there's a many ways to trade. We like to say Top Step provides one way to do it that you should definitely check out if it suits you. So, uh, Sean, thanks so much for stopping by again. Uh, great conversation. Sounds like you guys are doing some really cool things. Um, I'll have to check out that trade room myself sometime, see what's going on. Sure. Yeah, we'd love to have you. And uh, thanks again to Top Step and you for having me in here. And, and uh, you know, it's you know, it's not a, it's not work when you get to talk doing what you love, right? I guess that's the thing. When you really love what you do, it just becomes fun every day. Yeah, I've done three interviews now in like 20 hours, and it's been great. <laughs> so, <laughs> no complaints over here. So it's been making the time at home pass a little faster. So uh, thanks again, Sean, and everyone else out there. We'll be right back after this break. All right, guys, thank you for making it to the end today. Uh, we want to thank Sean Kozak so much for stopping by. Uh, he's a busy guy, so it was great to get a chance to sit down and talk to him and learn a little bit more about the trading psychology. So, uh, Dan, we're back. It's now Wednesday, uh, the 29th still. Let me take a look at the uh, ETFs real quick. We are at new highs. We're up 35 Seventeen percent in the S and P five hundred today. That we are. Look at that. Wasn't expecting that. So uh, this is really going to be, as we said before, it's going to be really interesting to see some of this consolidation that's happened around uh, this uh, price level. Yeah, we saw a lot when you're talking S and P's. We saw a lot of consolidation months ago between twenty nine and three thousand. We're entering right back into that tor territory. This is going to be, I, I think this is going to be really fun to watch and be a part of. Yeah, it's kind of been that way for years. I knew I remember this price from somewhere. You know, that <laughs> <laughs> that just under 3,000 range was just, yeah, it was just a, a thing for a while. And it may be the thing of the future. But uh, we'll probably know a whole lot more next week as uh, it seems like some businesses are starting to uh, open up in some states. And uh you know, whether or not I uh, agree with 
their decisions. I wish them the best and we'll at least know more about what's happening. So uh, wish them all the best. And um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot more. We're not going to go into oil right now. So uh, check out our blog, check out Coach's Playbook, where we talked about uh, trading in this environment that's gotten a little bit less volatile over the past couple of weeks. You know, it's crazy. We went Man, March we saw negatives. Can, yeah, we saw negative oil. We're, we'd have to do like one of those uh, sentimental montages in May of uh, just like all the weird shit we saw in March and April. Negative oil, <laughs> huge crashes. Then it all came back. Uh, April's, I, I think April's maybe the best month in stocks since uh, since the Great Depression or eighty seven. Since eighty seven, and uh, since eighty seven, we had the. I think the I think I read that the S and P's last week or the week before or something had like the biggest week they've had since the Great Depression, and April's looking like the biggest week since 1987. I am glad that I did not get involved with the sell side at the bottom of this. There was an inkling in my mind to do it. Yeah, everyone was everyone really thought um, the bottom was going to keep coming, and maybe we'll get back down there. But uh, God, it's been a hell of a bounce. Yeah, it's been something. So, uh, guys, it's Thursday. Have a great weekend. Uh, if you're in the United States or a country that's on lockdown, try and get outside. Uh, we just saw a little uh, chart today that said that that is uh, one of the things most highly correlated with your mentally uh, mental well-being right now. So if you get a chance, get some exercise, get outside. If you don't like the outdoors or exercise, uh, you just do you. And <laughs> we will see you guys next week. <laughs> Uh, namaste. <laughs> you know, I forgot that I have a sign off there to do. I'm, si- yeah, I'm going you have the insane. same one every time. I know. I'm sit. I'm sitting in. I got so much stuff in this. Uh... The quilt behind you is like really uplifting, and has me like feeling a little bit more vivacious. All the colors. Jack has a quilt behind his head of T-shirts that are all fun and exciting stuff. It looks like we got some White Sox, Lollapalooza. Yeah. Well, you can see it all in the uh, bite-sized videos. Basically, I needed. My my condo's not great for filming certain areas, so I set up. I have a tele. If you can't see in here, I got two lights next to me. I got a boom mic above me. I got a teleprompter <laughs> in front of me. I set this up so I can just crank out videos now. But it is, it's fun. So uh, with that, now that I've uh, wasted enough of your time, I can say the sign off. Have a great weekend. Namaste and trade well. Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.